a rich tradition. College Football Podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltonpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. We have uh, not been around for quite some time, but we are back, just like the college football game. We left for a long time, now we're back. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Apparently there's a bomb going Go off ahead. in Spencer's house. <laughs> um, no, uh, so part of the reason why um, we were out, I don't mind talking about this, y- your boy got COVID. The funk. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my myself and my wife, we uh, we got COVID, and so me, her, and my son, we were quarantined for 14 days. Um, we won't go too deep into this, but I'll just say my wife, um, my wife, uh, if if it was a basketball series, my wife owned her uh, owned COVID by uh, within within five days. Um, for me, I got owned for 11 days. <laughs> mm. uh, COVID was no joke, man. Um, it is not something that I wish upon anyone, not even my brother um, or my worst enemy, which some may say is my brother. Um, but no, uh, but we no, love you, Corey. Yeah, we love you very much, Corey. But dude, we're we're back. We're here to um, talk it up, break down some, break down some recruiting, break down, you know, talk about the game that we were uh, that we were, that we got to watch a few weeks ago, and then talk about the plethora of freaking coaching hires that have occurred. Yeah, it's uh, we got a lot to get to, so we're going to go ahead and get started. So we'll start all the way back. We'll travel backwards and doodly, start at the doodly, beginning. Doodly, 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 doodly. I, I enjoy that Wayne's World reference. That was very nice. Um, so national championship game. Were you surprised that it was the blowout? Some would say that, yeah, okay, I could see it. But I was a little bit surprised that maybe we didn't get, maybe I was disappointed more so that we didn't get a good game. But were you surprised in any way with the with the outcome? Um, no. I, I mean, probably the biggest surprise was the fact that um, Jalen Waddle was able to catch a few passes. Um, that he was able to be there. The, the, I, I I think I even said it like. I think whenever you did a breakdown, I, I I think I gave away that that they could win, but I was expecting Bama big, and yes. it, it it was a multitude of you know Bama just being this absolute buzzsaw, and you know Ohio State only having seven games you know under their belt to play, and you know. Um, I, I yeah I just I just thought it was a matchup nightmare for Ohio State. It was a matchup nightmare for anybody who played Bama this year. Um, here's a little fake brag: uh, Georgia is the only team this year to to be leading Bama by halftime at halftime. So I'll take that you know I'll take that and then you know obviously talk about the beatdown that happened uh, in the second half. But uh, but yeah man I, I was not really surprised at all. Um, Devontae Smith like did they just decide hey we're just not going to cover him? And we're just going to let him beat us because that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that that was yeah from a a micro standpoint. When you go back and look at it, you're kind of thinking, how in the world is he that wide open? He, I mean, we know he's great at running routes, and we know that the rest of that team is really good, and that you can't just cover him. But at the same time, it's kind of like, why not try that? Why not just double triple team him? See if you can take him away and make John Mechie catch balls all night long. Make him have an 11-catch night and see if he can handle it. Most likely he can because he's at Alabama, but make him do it. Take Devontae Smith away and make somebody else beat you. You should be able to live with somebody else beating you. If it's Devontae Smith, it's touchdowns all night long. So, Having such a great game plan or what felt like such a great game plan for Clemson and um, and the Tigers to turn around and almost look virtually like nothing. You just went out and were vanilla 
and maybe that's just Devonte Smith and how good he is, but they got matched. Rob, they got matched. They got him matched up on a linebacker. Yeah, I mean, on a linebacker I, with I no over the top yeah. help. I, I want to give I want to give all the credit in the world to Sar- Sarkeesian. Sure. I mean, I mean the, the dude. The dude did an incredible job of scheming scheming him open. And you know, I told I told a few Bama friends of mine, um, you know, at school the next day. Dude, I've never seen some of these. I've never seen some of these plays ever in my life run in a game. Like there, there were two plays that I, I will distinctly probably never forget from this game. One, where was Devonte Smith came in motion. He was on the left side. He came in motion, ran towards Mac Jones, and immediately cut back to the other side and as he cut they call they 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 snapped the ball and he was wide open for a little little dish out bubble screen right there. I've never seen that play run before. Now of course since the national championship game I've seen it run by two or three football teams or NFL teams. But then the other play was he was starting on the left side. He went in motion across the the, the entire right side of the field and then the they call Hut and it's a it's a bubble screen to the right to Devontae Smith, but the left tackle for Alabama backpedals to the right side of Matt Jones to pick up the the we, the the backside blitz. Like I've never seen plays like this run before. It, it was just incredible. Yeah, and and you got more of uh, Najee Harris being incredible. Devontae Smith did have to exit the ball game, and you did see John Mechie step up. Uh, you did see Najee Harris really do a great job taking over and a couple of other guys. But it almost felt like when Devontae Smith was out of the game, that's when Ohio State started to make moves back into the game, even though it didn't really come to much of anything. But you started to feel the effects of them making their way back into the game, and it's kind of like, man, again, if you guys just would have been able – to have something planned for Devontae Smith, and I know that's a big ask. John Mechie wasn't necessarily killing you all, you know, in that second half. Najee Harris was doing a great job. God, he's so good. But it just felt like, man, if y'all could have found something to limit Najee Harris, maybe you're not down as much. Maybe you can be in this ball game, especially obviously hindsight being that, you know, Devontae Smith would have to exit the game. Yeah. You know, if, this, if, if the game starts without Devontae Smith and Ohio State knows that going into the game, who knows what happens. But the dude had, what, 212 yards in one half? Is yeah, that right? Uh, 215. 215. And three touchdowns. And three touchdowns. And I don't think played much of any in the third quarter because he got that. Yeah. That's when the injury happened. Just. It just, it just, it, it was just disgusting. It, it really was. It's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in a national championship game, outside of maybe Vince Young. And give Alabama's defense credit, of course, as, uh, yeah. as they always usually demand. You, you, I think you took the long ball away from Justin Fields and the offense, and you made them have to work down the field, which is again exactly what I'm talking about trying to do to Alabama. Make them work down the field, and Alabama pulled it off, making Ohio State work down the field. And it really didn't turn out, you know, it didn't turn into anything uh, for for the Buckeyes. Now, two, it's worth mentioning Ohio State had some people out of this ball game uh, due to COVID-19, which was sort of expected because they were having so much issues with it the week prior. So that probably plays into this a little bit. But Alabama far and away uh, the best team and... Uh, that's pretty much how it goes. Shout out to uh, Devontae Smith, to the first wide receiver Heisman Trophy winner since Desmond Howard. Is that right uh, with Michigan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we I mean, called that here. We were pulling for that here on the on the pod. So uh, congratulations to him, and uh, it was exciting to see that we had probably our best Heisman race this past season than we've had in a long time. Yeah it it all it all seemed to come together to be quite competitive as far as who the best player in the country was. I mean, I mean, you and I are going to do probably, you know, probably next week we'll do it a, a more 
reflect ref, reflective episode of the year at hand, the the season that we saw. Talk about some things where we were right and some things where we were definitely wrong. Um, but overall, I, I thought it was a great competitive season when it came to who the best players in the country were. All right, so quickly after the national championship game ended, you, of course, jump into the off-season mode, and that's when uh, coaching jobs started to open up. I believe South Carolina was the first one to open up. Shane Beamer, uh, actually, I think Shane Beamer maybe gets hired before the yeah. SEC for national yeah. championship game. So we've already talked about Shane Beamer, haven't we? Probably. If we haven't, feels a little underwhelming. I think there's just a lot for him to have to prove there. We'll see. I guess we'll see if he can get it done. He did lose the Gunner Stockton uh, commit. That's something that's relatively new and or is pretty new in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I believe he's got some quarterbacks in the transfer portal as well. So, I mean, we'll just we'll just have to wait and see because this guy's coming over as like an assistant. I mean, he's not even a coordinator. So he just had a bunch of momentum there for South Carolina, a ton of momentum. Lots of people liked him and wanted him to have the job, and it seemed like it was the right people to like him, and so he got it. His dad was uh, obviously uh, Frank Beamer there at Virginia Tech. I've heard some people say like it just pays to be it pays off to be a, just a good guy sometimes. He's going to be a CEO type coach apparently, and you know I I'm not a huge fan of the staff he put together, but I mean who's to say I I, I really don't have a lot of I don't have any concrete takes about the situation in South Carolina, other than I mean you guys had two really good Hall of Fame coaches back to back. And now you've had two really bad coaches back, to, or one. You know, you had one really bad coach, and you're hoping not to get another bad coach. I think you could say they and Auburn have have sort of taken different paths here, uh, just to to you know roll our Auburn into the into yep. the fray here, and their coaching change, firing Gus Melzon, and uh, bringing over Brian Harson from uh, they're from Boise State. Both of them took sort of a different path. Not necessarily the same path that they both took, but that was different. But they both took, you know, a a, a different um, route in hiring a head coach. South Carolina went the unusual assistant route, and Auburn went way outside the Southern SEC Nick Saban sort of blueprint. They didn't hire a Jeremy Pruitt. They didn't hire a former Nick Saban defensive coordinator or. Or somebody along those lines, they went out into Timbuktu compared to SEC country, and they brought some guy over from Boise State. Like that, I feel like that's how the people in Alabama reacted. Boise State, like, huh? We went and did what? Yeah. And a lot of people applauded this hire, and I think you and I will do the same thing. That you know, you kicked the right people out of the room, and you went and made a football hire. Congratulations. In in a lot yeah. of ways, we'll see if it works. But I think you're on the right path with kicking the right people out of the room. I think he was a great football hire. Um, X's and O's, you know, just a guy who develops and knows football. It was it is a great hire in that regard. You want to talk about you you want to talk about issues with recruiting? Okay, you want to talk about not coming from the SEC? Okay, well let me just throw something at you. There are two coaches who who had nothing to do with the SEC until they were dominating it, and that's Urban Meyer and and uh, Nick Saban. Not everyone has to come from the SEC to to be successful in the SEC. I, I like my my one concern with Harson is the recruiting, but the coaching staff that he's put together at 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 Auburn is decent. It, it seems it, it seems that he does have an idea, a plan of what he's doing. My Bobo does not scare me at all as an OC, but who's to say this? Who, who's to say the rest of the the rest of everything doesn't come together well for them? Because there's no reason why Auburn should not be a top fifteen job and a top fifteen program every year. Yeah, the the, the Mike Bobo edition definitely sounds and screams. Let's get recruiting down. Let me bring people in who know the recruiting around this area, which is the number one sort of concern. Uh, hasn't been down in this area in a long, long time, and I think even the closest that he was down here was Texas, somewhere in Texas for a while. So, yeah, I mean, he's the the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Floridas he's probably very unfamiliar with. Um, 
Mike Bobo has plenty of relationships, and I'm, I don't know the rest of the staff, but I'm sure he's putting together uh, – is Derek Mason down there with him uh, in in Auburn now too? So, again, somebody else who's familiar with this area now, been at Vanderbilt for a long time. Yeah, I mean, the number one concern that a lot of people have is recruiting, and he's putting together the staff that knows the area, and that should go a long way to uh, to helping him out. The Auburn and Tennessee jobs have a weird thing in common, not just the fact that they're open, but that Kevin Steele was a major player for, uh, or at least thought to be a major player for the Auburn job, was a major player in terms of some people's minds. Those people were the ones kicked out of the room, thank goodness. He's a part of this Tennessee job as well. The Tennessee thing has just been wild, and Kevin Steele finds his way stuck in the middle of that one too. How odd is it to have Kevin Steele a part of these two sort of rambunctious, wild, crazy, you know, head coaching searches? Well, here's here's what I here's what I think probably was going to happen, and like I don't know anything. I'm just I'm just trying to piece this whole thing together. Look, we know what happened in Auburn. He tried to be a snake and steal the job from Gus, but then when things were going south at uh, Tennessee. I think that Fulmer brought him in to replace Pruitt because Fulmer thought he was safe as well. And so this was going to be his coach. And then, as we know, Fulmer was, quote-unquote, you know, he decided, quote-unquote, decided to part ways. Um, <laughs> with, Do you believe with, that? No, not a chance, man. He, he's a piece of crap, and I hope he never gets a job again in college football. Should have um, never had that job to begin with. Dude, no, he shouldn't have. So those two snakes can go off somewhere. But anyway, uh, the, the Tennessee job is the one that is just super interesting to me because they go and hire Danny White, who is known to be a really good um, AD for uh, University of Central Florida, um, has made some really awesome hires apparently over the last few years. And he's comes, got experience, which is yeah, the number one yes. thing that Philip Vollmer didn't have. Yes. <laughs> um, has experience, had had a plan, came in, you know, and then for like a week, week and a half, we heard all these names, and we saw all these lists, and we saw all these betting odds, and then all of a sudden, he goes and he hires his former head coach from UCF and Josh Heupel, and like is the epitome to to me at least, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on this because we haven't talked about this really that much is the the epitome of the shoulder shrug emoji. There's plenty of people around college football who believe the job was turned down by several and that Josh Heupel was a little further down the list. There's nothing wrong with Josh Heupel being further down the list. There's nothing wrong with hiring the guy that's a, fur, you know, a little further down the list. But that they went after some other fish, maybe some bigger fish if you want to call them that, uh, and they weren't there. So they bring on Josh Heupel. My first initial thought was either they're doing this from a stability standpoint or the best possible thing that could come from this is a stability a stability outcome. Yeah. Where Danny White's in charge, he's got to deal with this uh with the sanctions that are coming down. He now has a coach who he's familiar with. Uh, they're familiar with each other and they can kind of work on the same page and there's not necessarily a getting to know each other and dealing with these real sketchy or not sketchy, but uh, difficult sanctions to have to deal with and trying to get around the NCAA or work with them or whatever. You already know each other and we're going to, you know, union, um, we're going to solidify at the top and we're going to handle this and it's going to trickle down and it's just going to be a, keep the ship from sinking any more than it already has kind of move that maybe that's the best case scenario here. And all at the same time, you should have a pretty fun offense to watch. I think it's our, 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 one of our favorite people, Bud Elliott says, if you're, if, if you're going to be bad, you better not be boring and bad. So there's no, and that's what happened to Jeremy Pruitt. He was boring and he was bad. So go out there and sling the rock all over the place and maybe throw for, you know, 300 yards a game uh, and and have Harrison Bailey, you know, slinging the rock all over the place. And if you're still bad, you're at least interesting. There's at least something to build on. There's at least some excitement. And, 
you know, you you at least pull your program into some form of light, uh, you know, with with Josh Heupel and the offense. You and I talked about this just, I think, just yesterday. You know, or two things. One, his contract. His con. It depends on how you interpret it. To me, his contract shows me that he is getting a he is getting a contract that they believe that they have found their guy because they have given him a six-year contract, which means and it's guaranteed they've given him enough of a contract to see through the sanctions that are possibly coming and then to build to build off of that. Yeah, um, I would imagine some of that's his leverage, right? Because nobody yeah. else is beating down the door for Josh Heupel. So, I mean, he can, yeah. at least right now, so he can stick around for six years. He can sign a contract for six years and say, okay, we're here for the long haul because as of right now, nobody's beating down the door for him. That was the issue that people had with Tennessee giving Pruitt and Fulmer extensions. Nobody's beating down the door for these guys. Why are we giving them extensions? Nobody wants Philip Fulmer as the athletic director for their program. Nobody wants Jeremy Pruitt as their head coach. Why are we giving them extensions? So – for Josh Heupel or a similar thing for Josh Heupel, he can sign a 10-year deal if he wants to. Nobody's kicking down the door for him, and all of that contract stuff, as it usually does, will change if something changes and people do start to beat down the door and that sort of thing. But I, I think you're right You know, from the standpoint of that that's just how it looks now. We'll see what things look like because, of course, they did what they could do to to get rid of uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt after his extension, they found reasons to get rid of him. If they have to, they'll find reasons to get rid of Hypo, I'm sure, as well. And I'm, I don't know what the buyout stuff looks like, but um, I'm it's sure expensive. they'll find a way to. Is it? Okay. And, but that's that's apparently what Danny White, <clears throat> Danny White is known for is putting his money where his mouth is whenever he hires a guy, is giving is giving big buyouts. The, the positive for Hypo, and then we can, and, and then we can move on is looking at his track record with coaches. I mean with uh, quarterbacks. I mean it's it's nuts. If you if you go look and see who he has coached, I think I think and, and correct me if I'm wrong anywhere here, Spencer, but he has coached Sam Bradford, Landry Jones, um uh Jordan Love, um the good years of um um Drew Locke and then Mackenzie Milton um, and now, uh, and now, obviously, Dylan Gabriel, and you know when they had a shortened season and a COVID year. So, like, I don't know, man. Like, I, at least we know that he can do quarterbacks well. Yeah, and he's got one that's there in Harrison Bailey, and I think there's one that's coming in the recruiting class that looks pretty good. And there's a transfer from Virginia Tech and and Hayden Hooker as well that's going over there. So he'll have plenty of talent to work with. So, yes, uh, from that standpoint, again, that kind of goes back to the at least they can have something to be entertained by with the offense, at the very least. Um, in terms of grading hires, that's kind of become an unpopular thing to do in the hardcore college football world, and that's fine. But I think you have one of each here. That Shane Beamer, it's 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 completely up in the air because you he's coming from an assistance job. He's gotten a lot of got great references, and that's nice. But that one's truly up in the air. And then if you're looking at Josh Heupel, yes, with the quarterbacks, but he took an undefeated. He was handed a really nice situation, and they've kind of moved in the wrong direction. Whereas Brian Harson was given a really nice uh, situation from Chris Peterson, and he's maintained it. At the very least, he's maintained it over there at Boise State. So I know we don't like to grade hires or it's unpopular to do that, but if you were looking and sort of um, trying to judge what these guys might be looking at their last stops, you got to feel like you put your money on on Harson right now. Of the, of the better hire, yeah, and that uh, part of that also has to do with the fact that um, I haven't seen Heupel's coaching staff. That and, and the sanctions, obviously, are a big part of that, too. You're right. Yes. The staff and the sanctions, yeah. Yeah, very good. All right, uh, one other or two other names from the coaching 
higher ranks that I wanted to mention. It's not a it's not a college job, but it is a college coach. How do you feel about Meyer in the NFL, Urban? Um, well, I guess I just hope he doesn't um uh, have any <laughs> have any health issues. Not uh, get a headache over there in Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, don't 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 get a headache. You know, um, really, you know, really stick to your morals down there in Jacksonville. There you go. That's it. Turn over that new leaf, baby. Like the last couple ones that you did. Um, Trevor Lawrence will go a long way to not having a headache, but in the NFL, headaches are around every corner. You still have to deal with egos. and So, yeah, that, that'll be interesting to see how long he lasts uh, over there from that standpoint. He's going to give it a go, so, uh, so we'll see. Uh, and then the other name that I wanted to mention is a college coach, was looking at an NFL job. Their recruiting class finished 13th in the country. Do you think Dan Mullen's flirting with the NFL had anything to do with that? Or is um, it sort of unrelated because it was too late in the process of recruiting? You know, that's a good question, Spencer. I I would probably lean to no, it didn't have to do with the NFL aspect. But I, I do think I mean, we're about to talk about we're about to talk about recruiting. I was really caught off guard with and look, they have the thirteenth class. That's not bad at all. But you just came off one of the best offensive produ- pr- productive years, you know, in Florida's history and you know, wherever else you want to look, and you only got the thirteenth best class. And look, they're gonna say, well, hey, we're bringing in Bowman. We're bringing in a real Gilbert. Oh, okay. I mean, but you still can't recruit an elite level. Even after having a great year. Yeah, and even after bringing in those two guys, a, a lot of times, you know, recruits will help out with other recruits. And and maybe that's not the role of, of these two guys because maybe they're a little bit removed and they don't know these guys or whatever. But you kind of feel like re- recruiting, landing a big – landing Gunner Stockton, you know, helps with the rest of your 2022 class. And I know that's a Georgia reference and a Florida conversation, and that's probably off limits. But nonetheless, a big-time recruit can help incentivize or can help kind of uh, you know, build momentum with other guys. Like, oh, man, I might want to go join that big fish over there, and we'll all get together, and we'll, you know, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. You know, we'll, we'll get it together. Um, so, yeah, I, and and – David Waters, who who we've had on the podcast before, and we we talked to a lot. He's a Florida guy and has the Florida uh, Gator Breakdown podcast. He, you know, he's. I saw his tweet earlier today that why can't we do both? Why can't we rip up yeah. the? Why can't we rip up both? And somebody well, responded, "You're at the University of Florida. You should be able to rip up both." Yeah, and I actually thank you for bringing that up. I actually went reached out to him, and I just asked him for a quote about his reaction to Florida and, and just this recruiting cycle. Um, uh, and, and so here's what he said: "Quote, um, have known that no letter of intent was going to go out on National Signing Day, meaning today. Um, Florida has been very successful in the transfer portal this cycle, especially in getting two top 2020 recruits in Demarcus Bowman and Rick Gilbert." Time will tell if lackluster traditional recruiting supplemented by great transfers can win titles. The 2021 class fills needs in the secondary and on the DL, while bringing in two drop-back style quarterbacks keeps the the quarterback room versatile. Issues in the 2021 class consist of offensive line recruiting still lagging behind and many of the in-state prospects leaving the state of Florida. So, <clears throat> I mean, Florida couldn't run the ball last year because their O-line wasn't good enough. I don't think that's going to change, at least not next year. And, and you don't have Kyle Trask this go-around. And who knows, Emory Jones maybe steps into a role and surprises everybody. But as of right now, with the information we have right now, that doesn't sound like a formula for picking up where you left off. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, so do we want to just continue our, our 
you know, our, our recruiting conversation right there. Um, Florida kind of a lackluster day. Georgia didn't have a huge day in terms of today. Uh, they had a pretty good recruiting class overall, just not a big day today. How You're the recruiting guru. I follow along, but you're the recruiting sort of guru. Where do you want to start with National Signing Day here on uh, on a Wednesday? We're recording on uh, Wednesday Signing Day. Well, let's let's go ahead and get so I can get the the fandom out of the way. Let's go ahead and get let's get the Georgia aspect out of the way, okay? Um, Georgia walks away with um, the number three recruiting class in the country. Um, they all twenty are already on campus. They've been there since January. All early signees, which is very impressive, um, just because you know some teams can pull that off, but not a lot of teams are able to. Um, Georgia. Georgia's recruiting class, you know, like you look at, you can look at recruiting classes who walk away with four or five five-star guys, or who were, you know, have really high-rated classes, and then you can look at look at look at the team and you say, man, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of game breakers on that team. Like there's just a really good, like you felt you filled needs with great players, but there's like like not a lot of players of like fear. Um, does that make sense, Spencer? Um, you, yes. Okay. So the, the reason why I say that is because um, Alabama just brought in the, the highest rated recruiting class of all time. It is great class. There are dudes upon dudes upon dudes. 27. However, yeah. However, you're not going to see a lot of, like you're probably not going to see a Bryce Young type or Tua Togovaloa type in that class or maybe even a Jalen Waddle in that class. However, you are going to see – Incredible O linemen, incredible defensive players, um, incredible, <coughs> excuse me, um, incredible, um, just just skill guys. You know, as they get older. Uh, so, but when we look at Georgia's class, and and no, I'm I'm not just hyping up Georgia because I'm a fan. I, I really do believe this about this team. They did get game breakers in like the the five stars they went after like are going to be probably day one day one contributors if not starters um you know including Brock the Norse god Vandergriff um and Xavier Story and Small Munden Michael Morris Amarius Mims like all all these dudes who were who felt who filled incredible needs but also Le, uh Lavasi Carroll the four-star running back out of Florida from IMG Academy, like he's a dude, man. Georgia added another dude to the the running back room that they continue to fill. Um, so so Georgia just had a really good day. I wanted to, you know, a good, really good cycle. They didn't get anybody today. They got beat up by Bama for, um, for Terry and Arnold out of Tallahassee. Um, you know, but what are you going to do? Whenever you're competing against a team that literally just won a national title and beat you this year, you know. Um, Did you see the recruiting video, the the leaked oh, footage yeah. of Saban? Yeah. How do yeah. you like? I wanted to come. I wanted to commit to Alabama. He wasn't even yeah. talking to me. Like, how do you not? How do you say no? How does anybody else sign people? Oh, because there's. I guess there's. You know. Uh, scholarship limits or whatever, so they can't sign everybody. But with that pitch, how do you not sign everybody? How do you not just put everybody on wait on the waiting list? Yeah, no, you're right. Going to go play at Alabama. So, excuse me. Um, so just to talk about this cycle a little bit, um, talk about some some teams that really did have great day or, or. not great days, but great cycles. I, I can't go through all the kids who signed today. Like, I don't have enough time here, and neither do you. Um, I want to talk about USC for a second, though. USC, in the last 20 years, has averaged fourth in recruiting rankings. Spencer, 20 years averaged fourth in recruiting rankings. And last year, they got 64th mm. in, in recruiting rankings. And the closest, the, the, the second, or I'm sorry, the second lowest is within 30 to 35, I believe, of that number. So they've never been that low before. Everyone, everyone thought Clay Helton was going to get fired last offseason. It was awful. 
And even and Clay Helton has even said in interviews that they struggled last year to build relationships with their recruits. And so they went and they changed out some coaches and they started recruiting just back to where they normally were. They're at eight this year. They're going to finish at eight, but they're going to sign. The, I mean, COVID, if anything, COVID helped them a lot in their recruiting this year by keeping these West Coast kids in the West Coast, specifically Corey Foreman, who was believed to be juggling between Clemson, USC, Bama, and Georgia. And he's going to stay in the West Coast. And, I mean, this kid's 6'4", 265. Um, he's the number one national rated player. He's the number one in that position, number one in the state. He is a dude. And Can I, can I give my favorite stat about please. Please. East East Coast recruiting uh, and West Coast sort of losing grip. The it, it's Tua, his brother, Dylan Gabriel, Mackenzie Milton, and DJ Uangalale. Five, all from Hawaii. None of them are on the West Coast. They're all East Coast guys. They all came East Coast. Alabama, UCF. Uh, and Clemson, and now up to Maryland for for the transfer in uh, Talia Tungavailoa. Five like high end, well thought of, a first overall draft choice, you know, big time college quarterbacks, and none of them are in California. They're in Hawaii. <coughs> they came from Hawaii, and none of them are at, in a California school. The Pac-12 was in a horrible state. They needed they needed a win, and you got rid of Larry Scott, the worst AD I've ever seen. And you have you finish this recruiting class with two of your two teams in your conference finishing in the top ten. That is a huge win. Thirteen of USC's recruits are from California. That is a huge. That is a big deal. We now look at the rank, rankings and how everybody finished. Man, I, I'm gonna tell you, I'm really, I'm really impressed with a few teams, and I wanted to just uh, uh, point them out really quickly. Michigan did did really well today. They flipped some guys today, uh, specifically a defensive tackle from Michigan State. They, uh, the Ole Miss Rebels, was able to get Taiwan Malone um, away from Texas A&M, which was not believed to to occur, but they were able to get them today. Um, we already talked about USC. The Oregon Ducks have continued. Cristobal is turning into a powerhouse in recruiting over on the West Coast. Notre Dame walked away with 27 commits. Oklahoma walked away with 16 recruits. They, but they are bringing in like they've already brought in like six transfers. They are trying to fill needs in the transfer portal. So is Miami, Wisconsin. So they finished with 240 points based off 24/7's composite ranking. They finished 15th. They walk away with one five-star and four, five four-stars, but they have the highest-rated class in Wisconsin history. But the team that I want to praise just a little bit, I know you're going to – you're probably going to insult me for, Tennessee. <laughs> Tennessee what? The Volunteers? Yeah, the Volunteers. Tennessee finishes – loses their you're talking AD. talking about Tennessee, Alabama, or what? <laughs> not, the, T- not the Volunteers in Knoxville. Yes. Yes, the Volunteers. Tennessee t- Tennessee loses their AD, they lose their coach, they lose several assistants due to cheating and due to all this stuff that's going on, and they still are able to walk away with 21 commits. Now look, tomorrow these dudes could announce that they're transferring. But right now, it is, it, it's hella impressive to me that Tennessee was able to keep that many commits together for, um, for this recruiting class. Yeah, uh, big props to to Tennessee. I heard a lot of praise for North Carolina. You mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of recruits leaving Florida, a lot the state of Florida, and a lot of recruits staying in California. Apparently, North Carolina did a very good job of keeping a lot of people of their nineteen. A lot of their guys are North Carolina guys and have been over the last couple of years as well, not just this season. So, I've heard some praise for uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels. And, uh, of course, you already mentioned Alabama with that. Not just the number one class, but the number one class of all time. A 327.91. Florida had the last best class at 325 back in 2010. Yeah, class was gross. Yeah, which led them to a championship. Did that lead them to? No. 
Okay, it didn't lead them to the second Urban Meyer championship. That was the no. They the, they won it in 06 and 08. That's right, 06 and 08. I thought 08 was the first one. Okay, very good. So uh, good class for them. Ohio State recruits really well. LSU, you know, if you're going to give Tennessee some credit, uh, I guess LSU deserves a little bit of credit for holding on to a top five class, knowing with all the sort of crap that's going on over there as well. The yeah. um, no, that's or, a good point. What's the word I'm looking for? Stuff swirling over there. It's sort of waiting on stuff to fall uh, there at LSU. Any other recruiting notes that you wanted to make today? There's a couple of people who are still out, right? The like the the number one like depending on where you look, there's another kid who is a number one rated player. I think is JT a name that I cannot pronounce at all. Um, but he's a defensive lineman. He is. He has a he has a chance to go to Alabama. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of um, want it to happen at this point. Yeah, just just go on over there. Not not yeah. really, but you're kind of like might as well because you know continue to watch history be made over there. But yeah, um, I, th- that's all I got. All right. So the last thing on the list. Um, they're right around the same time a lot of the coaching stuff happened and right when the national championship game was over we've already seen the portal and the way that it's starting to affect college football and you know coaches having to coaches having to create kind of a new new portion of their staff hire new you know new people to watch the transfer portal but at the same time watch their own players from entering the transfer portal the name, image, and likeness stuff is about to name uh, uh, add another department to uh, coaching staffs. Of you, you got to believe that once that stuff hits, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Steve Sarkeesian, they're going to be responsible for talking to agents, uh, helping kids get deals and set them up with stuff, and or set up agents or whatever it is. They're they're going to have to help with facilitating in some way. The coaching staff will. So you know that that's going to become a section of the of the football department. All that to say, stuff that we want, stuff that we think is good, all of that to say, we started the show off with a joke, but it's not a joke. This is not a drill. College football, NCAA, is coming back to EA Sports. The video game was announced on Tuesday. <sighs> I literally, on the phone with Robbie, you can vouch, I didn't just yell – I screeched you like a damsel in distress. Uh, in distress, I screeched yes. at the idea. Rest in peace. I screeched at the idea of the college football game coming back. I did nothing for the rest of the day. I read articles and I was just beside myself at the return of college football video game. Yeah, man. Um, as I jokingly said on Twitter and on Facebook, I have, in lieu of this game over the years, I have for I have forgone schoolwork. I have, I have not done yard work. I have ignored family members, and now my son will know how it feels to be ignored by his father. <laughs> um, uh, just a couple of observations. Uh, you know, the information since information has started to come out even more. We're probably two or three years away from this game coming out, but it's still just a—it's just still a great thing to know. This is how video games work. For those that don't know, video games get announced kind of, kind of a couple years out from its release normally, um, to just to create excitement. But the word NCAA was never used in a EA's announcement. Right. It was college football, and they are using the CLC as the company that they're going to work with and apparently they have they have made deals with the schools so they'll have access to jerseys they'll have access to the stadiums they'll have access to playbooks um mm. and and I'm what I'm hoping though is that between now and the time that the the game is to come out the NIL will pass and we can get names images and likenesses and that's that's kind of the expected thing because the name image and likeness I think we're expecting that in August so with this game being out or, you know, uh, two or three years out, 
that should be plenty of time for all that stuff to get put into place and for all that stuff to be figured out and legal teams to do whatever they have to do and sign papers and, you know, dot I's and lowercase J's and all that stuff to be done. And then we can have our video game back. And it's just, and you said the magic word just a second ago. You said the magic word for this upcoming playbook. This last edition of the game had a lot of different things to do with the playbook, and you could do all your own stuff with the playbook and create your own playbook, and it was fantastic. I am excited for updated playbooks to be able to play around with and to utilize and to do jet sweeps with your your tight end and you know what all the other funky stuff that they do in the NFL. I'm ready to do that on my video game. Uh, I'm playing a little bit of the Madden game to to you know to to quench that thirst, but I'm excited to do it on a on a college football game. Do you have any sort of immediate kind of wish list type things that you're hoping for? I know that's not a wish list because it's going to happen, but uh, that's one of the things that I'm most excited for in terms of playing this new game. Um, I would say probably the concept of RPOs. Yeah, um, be able to be able to, you know, because like the option, the triple option, strong option, power option, all, all that is what I run at nauseum and people hate playing me and that's why they keep losing. Um, but I wouldn't lose. Uh, OK, um, <laughs> I uh, I'll run Maryland eye on you and I'll and wishbone and I will beat you. Uh, whatever. Uh, but um, but anyway, uh, the, the, the fact that the game, the playbook has, you know. Uh, grown so large since then, since that game, and just the concept of RPO of being able to run, you can run an option play that you, but you can also take a step back and you can throw the ball like that. That's just really something cool that I look forward to be able to do. But to me, the biggest thing that I want to be able to do is, uh, and I know you don't play as many video games as I do, but there's this game called uh, um, um, Shadow of Shadow of Mordor. And in the game, they have this thing called the Nemesis system, where you can come up, you come across like an orc or or a bad guy, you fight him, and if you like, if you lose to him or if he survives the encounter, he gets away before you can kill him. He will come back later in the game, stronger and more powerful, and he he will have learned from his fight with you, and he will you'll have to change the way you beat him the next time. Yes. I would love for yes. something like that to happen in this game, whether it be a team that you played the first time and you won't be able to run for 320 on them this time, or or even a coach, who, an assistant coach who leaves to go to another program. You know, you've built a rivalry against them. Or or even better yet, if they have, oh, praise, pray to God they don't, but if they have the transfer portal in the game, like what if a quarterback leaves you, transfers out, and then you have to play them that next season? Like something like that. I, I think I think there's some really cool things that games do nowadays that have little mechanics and systems like that that you could do some really cool stuff. And just within the game, like if you're if I'm playing against yep. Alabama and it's Nick Saban and I just ran for a bunch in the first half, those second half adjustments are going to come into play. Um, and I can't just run the same play over and over again. I can't just do my zone option with the quarterback all day long as the t- as the defensive end bites on it every single time, five times in a row. You know, yeah, no, I'm I'm totally game for that sort of thing. I wasn't sure how to articulate that, but that's the perfect way to do it, that you, you know, you just have adjustments, and the game understands what you're trying to do, and it's not just going to let you keep doing the same thing over and over again. It has a mind. The AI is a little bit better uh, on those games. I'll say one of the other things – that I, it, that's on a wish list for this game is, pl- so apparently FIFA has this too, and you've played FIFA, I guess. Yeah. I'm taking it. Uh, this ultimate team thing that Madden yep. has. Yep. 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 Ultimate team. Mm-hmm. No, leave leave yep. that to the professional games. That take <laughs> yep. it out of the professional games. Nobody seems to like that. Not I don't understand. Maybe the kids <clears throat> like it, but I don't oh, really have much of yeah, a man. Where I the, want. Leave the Dynasty mode alone. The, the ultimate team for FIFA is like one of the most revenue made things for EA every year. Like it, oh, it makes them a it makes them a ton of money. So they're gonna have it then. It's gonna well, be this game. Well, I I, I I I don't know how it would be in the game. Like I, I 
I don't know what they I don't know what they could do. Like that's that's my that's my argument for why they won't. Um, because I don't know how you could do it with college. Uh, with with college, he, here's the thing that I don't want more than anything: do not touch my dynasty mode. Right, and that and that's more of what I'm referencing. Don't put all your effort into this ultimate team thing and and lose sight of what's most important, and that's dynasty mode. Franchise mode in Madden apparently has suffered, and I've played a little bit, and it seems to suffer from this, you know, all of your energy is put into this ultimate team thing. Put the energy, surround the game, center the game on dynasty mode. Anything else you do, center it around its secondary to dynasty mode. I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. Yeah. Uh, you already mentioned Larry Scott. Ugh. It's a big deal for the Pac-12 to get rid of him or for him mm-hmm. to step down. He was wasting money. He wasn't a TV exec. He had no partnership for when he launched the Pac-12 network, which was the downfall of that whole thing. Um, just not great decision-making out there, and they've got an opportunity to hire you know, some really – you know, people with some really high regard to to take over that role, and hopefully they'll they'll land something good because college football is better with you know everybody involved. The more involved, the, the better it the better it is, and to have a full conference completely out of it because of one man who doesn't know you know who gets lost in in, in running the the whole thing. Uh, it's disappointing. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, the the fact that they had a commissioner that or whatever he was that would never fight mm-hmm. for his conference to be in the title to be in the playoff is it was absolutely just mind boggling to me. Yeah, you never heard anything from Larry Scott about expansion around, you know, college football time. I mean, Bob Bowlesby and that was it. That yeah. was it. I mean, he was at least trying to fight for expansion for his conference and Larry Scott did did zilch of that. So yeah, somebody with a backbone over there. Uh, to take over the the Pac-12. All right, Robbo, go to bed. Uh, I'll go to bed as well. Two friends, one love. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate everybody sort of sticking with us here as we sort of bounce back and forth uh, to you know being here. But we enjoy it. We appreciate you listening. We'll catch you on the flip flop later.